the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This week's The Interview is brought to you by AndrewandTodd.com. AndrewandTodd.com are the world's best lenders for real estate. They are with Sierra Pacific Mortgage. You can call them at 888 888-888-1172, 888-888-1172. And please do, no matter what your lending needs are, andrewandtodd.com. And now welcome to this new edition of The Interview with Hugh Hewitt. Welcome back. I'm Hugh Hewitt. On my radio show last week, I played a speech by the Lieutenant Governor of North Carolina, Mark Robinson. It was to the Madison County Republican Party. Rarely had I had a reaction in my 30 years of broadcasting to a speech as I got to the Lieutenant Governor's remarks. And so I invited him to join me, and he's here. Lieutenant Governor Robinson, welcome to the Hugh Hewitt Show. Hey, how are you doing? I'm great. I am great. How are you? I'm doing just fine. Now, Lieutenant Governor, I didn't know much about you. I'm not a Tar Heel State resident. I don't know the intricacies of state government there, uh, but I've read up on you. Would you give the uh, the listening audience a brief bio of Mark Robinson? Uh, well, I was born and raised in a city here in Greensboro, a city here in North Carolina called Greensboro. Uh, I'm number nine of 10 children. I actually grew up in a house with five of those 10 children around me. Uh, my mom was married twice. Uh, I had two sets of children, five with my our first first husband, five with my dad. Uh, grew up very poor, saw a lot of challenges. My dad uh, had a drink problem with alcohol, and him and my mom had a very contentious relationship, so I, I witnessed domestic violence firsthand, you know, up close. Uh, but we were able to overcome that. My dad died when I was about in the fifth grade. My mom, she tells the story all the time. She had friend of hers told her, you know, when, when her husband died and my dad died, she could have just lived off welfare. She said, well, you know, you got it made now. You can sit at home and collect welfare checks. And uh, My mom didn't do that. My mom got off welfare. My mom went to work as a custodian. And that's how she took care of us. And it's probably one of the greatest lessons I ever learned in my life. That, you know, you don't depend on the government. You don't sit around and wait on checks from the government. You get out and make things happen because she did. And she was able to buy a home. She was able to buy us a car. We always had school supplies. We always had clothes. My mom was very responsible. She bought what she needed with her money instead of what she wanted. And therefore, we always had what we needed. And it's the greatest lesson I think I've, I learned from her other than that you should put God first in everything that you do. And so uh, because of her, I, I, I attribute that to where I, I am now. I spent a little time in the, in the military. I was in the Army Reserves. I was uh, a, a medic in the Army, Army Reserves. Uh, I have been married for, uh, let's see, almost 31 years now. I have two children, uh, two adult children, a uh, 30-year-old son, 28-year-old daughter. My daughter is married. She has a uh, grandson who's about to turn four and a daughter, a grand, well, she has a, a son who is about to turn four and a daughter who is about to turn nine months. So we have two grandchildren. Well, congratulations on that. That's the only thing in life that's not overrated. I love grandchildren. You better believe it. You better believe it. It's not. You 
verbal. Now, Lieutenant Governor, uh, you're a big man. Did you play ball in high school? No, sir, I did not. I was uh, very much into, uh, uh, I was in junior ROTC and uh, was convinced that I wanted to have a, a career in the military. Uh, but uh, that that changed uh once I got in the military, I, I got in the military, and I don't get me wrong, love my time in the, in the service. I learned a lot of lessons, but uh, I decided that I wanted to go a different way of life. I wanted to wanted to be a civilian life and wanted to do some different things. And so, uh, I, I I've worked in a number of places. I worked in I've worked in the restaurant business. I've worked in furniture the furniture industry most of my working career. Total of about twenty years, and uh, for a short time, about eight years. My wife and I own a small business, which is a daycare center. Now, if I really want to find out about Mark Robinson, I got to talk to Mrs. Robinson, but we haven't got time for that today. So I want to know when did you get into politics and why? All right. Uh, I'm going to give you the short version. Uh, the way I became what I call politically aware, and I'm going to tell you this story real quick. I was arguing, got in an argument with my best friend over Rush Limbaugh. I called Rush Limbaugh a racist because that's why I had heard on television that the man was a racist. He challenged me and said, you said, you don't even know the guy. How can you call him a racist? So I set out to prove to him he was, that Rush Limbaugh was a racist. I went out and bought Rush Limbaugh's book, The Way Things Ought to Be. When I read that book, that book woke me up and, and helped me to understand that I was indeed a conservative because I read things in that book. I had always been thinking my entire life. I mean, and it woke me up, and I said, my God, I, I agree with this guy 100%, you know. And so uh, my friend and I sat down and talked, and we talked about politics. We studied the two parties. And, of course, I fell on the conservative side. Uh, I became a Republican, and, uh, you know, I started working for the uh, Republican Party, and I did that for a little while. But the way I really got into it this time, um, I was working and going to school full-time. plan was to be a history professor. I went down, and I got into this tussle with uh, the Greensboro City Council because they wanted to cancel the gun show. Uh, because of the shooting that happened down in Florida. And um, I, I just thought it was just completely unfair. And so I went down to the meeting, didn't intend on speaking, but uh, ended up speaking before that city council. And that speech uh, went viral. Uh, matter of fact, it went supernova viral. I think up to date, it's probably got somewhere between 250 to 300 million views. Um, it is, uh, that, that, that is what really propelled me into this. Uh, after that, a lot of folks come came to me, the NRA, uh, other Republican groups, and uh, I really got involved. I stopped. I, I left school. I left my job, and I started traveling the country speaking. And uh, <clears throat> after doing that for about a year and a half, I decided to run for office. We looked at a bunch of different offices and decided the lieutenant governor was the best, and we ran and we won. Now, I am, I'm going to come back to that gun speech. The speech I played last week from Madison County Republican Club the Republican Party, that went viral, too. I mean, that was, you are a gifted orator when you get moving. And uh, even the takeoff was pretty quick. And I've been listening to a lot of speeches. I've been doing this for 30 years on the air. Uh, began just after Rush did, and I know a speech when I hear one. Do you do that every time you talk? Pretty much, pretty much. It just depends on the setting. Uh, uh, the thing that I like to try to do with, uh, when I'm speaking is, uh, you know, not only do I like to express, you know, uh, convey my ideas, but uh, you know, I really, I really want it. I really want people to get motivated and get involved and be inspired. And 
I, I, my wife tells me that God has blessed me with this, this gift for that purpose, and uh, that that's normally that's normally what you get when you hear me speak. Uh, I'm, okay, uh, I'm I'm booking a ticket now. Let me ask you about the the Governor Cooper. He snubbed you at the State of the State speech. I can I, I can only conclude he snubbed you, and then I've done some research. Apparently, he's done that before. What's the deal with you and Governor Cooper? Why does he not like you, and why does he snub you? Well, I'm sure he doesn't. He, I'm sure he doesn't like me, probably because some of the things that I've said about him in the past. I've been a very hard critic of the things he's done here in North Carolina. That's only because he's been a horrible governor. I mean, that's the bottom line. He's been obstructionist. He is not responsible for any of the good things that have happened here in North Carolina. When the COVID crisis hit, he violated the Constitution by telling North Carolinians that they could not uh, exercise their First Amendment their First Amendment right to gather at church and had to be sued. He is a horrible governor, and I've not been shy about saying that. So I, I you know, I, I, I don't. It doesn't shock me that he doesn't like me. What does shock me is how unprofessional he is, because I, I don't particularly care for the governor either but every time i've had the opportunity to greet him i have greeted him with respect and treated him with respect face to face i could not say the same thing for him your your professionalism is part of politics and you've got to have professionalism and i am i am surprised by that conduct do you think any of it i've read your wikipedia page i have not read your actual social media i've just read what they've said about your social media is it because of your controversial social media, which is detailed on your Wikipedia page? It cites uh, posts against the LGBTQ community and Muslim community and other slash and burn kind of commentary. Is that why Cooper won't talk to you? Does he cite that? Well, see, here's the thing. A lot of those comments, they say they're against the Muslim community and against the LGBTQ community. They're not against those communities. They're against the agendas that are being pushed on behalf of those communities many times, and not necessarily communities, especially when it comes to the Muslim community. I've never said anything about Muslims in the Muslim religion. What I've spoke out against is radical Islamic terrorists. I've never said anything bad about Muslims. What I've spoke about is radical Islamic terrorists. And in this society, in this our society we live in now, you cannot say that without being told that you're an Islamophobe, which is not which is absolutely not true. My um, friend I'm Dennis Prager has explained that at length. Uh, and absolutely. so I, I will understand that, and I can discern the difference when I see them. What about the LGBTQ comments? What have you said that have upset that community, and, and is that what the governor is? is uh, he, he, he probably doesn't like my stand, my current stand on the transgender issue, which I'm, I'm, I've made that plain on the transgender issue, that I don't think that— uh, men should be on girls' basketball team, uh, and that uh, I do not think that we should be teaching our children about these transgender issues in our schools. I have made that plain, and I will not back off of that. And if he's angry about that, well, then so be it. Now, are you are you 100% ruled out of a Senate run, Lieutenant Governor yeah. Robinson? Ah, come on, 100%, yeah. 100,000% ruled it out, not a chance, not now, not ever, yeah. never? Yes, I'm not, I'm not running for Senate. I have made that uh I have made my decision when it comes to that, and that is that is fine. Can can circumstances change that you you know the the field falters? It looks like we're going to lose that seat. We cannot lose that seat. We have to keep the North Carolina seat. Would you change your mind? Uh, I cannot say what will happen in the future. Now, and that that being said, I am not. I am 
I have made my decision not to run. So you're telling me there's a chance, Lieutenant Governor. Well, there's always a chance for everything. I mean, there's a chance that we might, uh, that I might get a, you know, be on a rocket ship to the moon next month. But very, yeah, well, if very you know exciting. Elon Musk, that that could happen. Do you, do, do you very, have very a do you have a preferred candidate? You've got some great candidates: uh, former Representative Walker, Representative Bud, former Governor McCrory. Uh, do you have one? Have you endorsed one of these three? No, I haven't. They're all great candidates, and uh, we're going to let them uh, do what they do in the primary, lay their cases out to the people of North Carolina and let the people of North Carolina make their choice, and I believe the people of North Carolina will make the right choice. And then once that's done, we're going to get behind that the, the candidate who wins the primary, and we're going to propel them to a victory. Do you think Laura Trump should jump in? Uh, if yeah, I don't know if she should or she, or she wants to, but if she does, uh, she'll be right there in the mix with those others. I think she would be a great candidate, just like the others others would. And uh, again, no matter who wins that primary race, we're going to be right there behind them, propelling them to the win because we feel like we can hold that seat. And we, I, I feel like any of those candidates uh, can be victorious in, in the general election. Do you plan to endorse one of them before the primary? During the primary, you mean? Yes. No, no, absolutely not. No. All right. Uh, I want to turn to some substance now, uh, Lieutenant Governor, away from politics. Joe Biden said last night that uh, January 6th was the greatest crisis since the Civil War. And I'm kind of upset about that because I lived on the air for 10 hours through 9-11, as did every American of a, uh, a, a certain age. And I remember uh, as well 1968 and the assassinations of Dr. King and Bobby Kennedy and the uh, explosions and the violence and, of course, the Vietnam War and, of course, the sacrifices made in Iraq and, and Afghanistan by our best and brightest and all around the world on the seas. It's He's the music man president. It's just it was crazy to say that it was a bad day. It was an insurrection. It should never happen. I want everyone prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. But what do you make about President Biden saying January 6th was the greatest threat to democracy since the Civil War. If I had been present in that hall last night when he said that, I would have gotten up and I would have walked out. I would have walked. I would have made it. I would have made myself plain. I would have stood up. I would have turned around and I would have walked out of that hall. That is one of the worst statements that I think I've ever heard a president make. Absolutely. Why? It is, it is because of everything that you just named, everything that you just named, he has completely forgotten everything that, ha that has happened since our Civil War, all the great tragedies that have happened and the threats that we've had to this country, from the sinking of the Lusitania that caused uh, us to propel us into World War One, to the attack on Pearl Harbor that propelled us into World War Two, to all the threats that we saw during the 1950s from the Korean War, to the Vietnam War, and then moving on into some of the crisis we saw during the 1960s, the 1970s, and then the, the crisis that, that we had at, on 9-11. My God, even the riots that we had this summer, when thousands of, of businesses and uh, um, public uh, property was destroyed, and he says that this was the you know, I, I would have gotten up and I would have walked out because it was an absolute insult to every man and woman who's ever sacrificed during times of tragedy in this country. It was an absolute insult, and I would have walked out of the hall.
Now, I know how legacy media works, Lieutenant Governor. As you probably have learned, they will take that statement and say you're minimizing January 6th. So I want to give you the immediate opportunity to condemn January 6th, as I often do. It's it's a terrible insurrection. I want them all prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. And I, I want no commutations of sentences that are handed down by judges following convictions by uh, juries. But but uh, I want to hear what you think about January 6th, because I know how legacy media works. I think that the, what happened on January 6th was absolutely uh, uh, that was a that was a bunch of lawlessness that needs to be handled. Uh, the folks who perpetrated those those crimes need to be punished to the fullest extent of the law. Make no mistake about it. What happened on January 6th was not right, and the the law needs to take its course. Those people need to be they need to be found. They need to be properly adjudicated, and they need to be jailed. That being said say that that attack was the greatest attack on our democracy since the Civil War is still one of the most egregious statements that a president has ever made. And again, had I been in that hall, I would have stood up and I would have walked out. Time for a pause now in this edition of the interview with Hugh Hewitt. I want to remind you that our sponsor is andrewandtodd.com. There with Sierra Pacific, they lend you money to refinance your house or buy a home or help your son or daughter become investors in real estate by becoming a non-occupying co-borrower. They help senior citizens with reverse mortgage. They help veterans with no money down mortgages. They help you refinance. So if you need to get money out of your house or you need a whole new house, go to andrewandtodd.com or call them at 888-888-1172. Now back to this edition of Hugh Hewitt and the interview. Now, President Biden has said many things about the Georgia voter reform, and I call it voter for reform because I've read the law and it is voter reform. He called it Jim Crow 2.0. I believe that's a direct quote. I'll have to fact check myself, but he definitely referred to Jim Crow and that law repeatedly. When he does that, what do you think? Because you are old enough, I believe, to have had to deal with the real Jim Crow. I I, I am not. Uh, I actually, uh, I am the beneficiary of a lot of, of struggle uh, by a lot of other folks who did go through Jim Crow. I, I was born in 68, and by the time I came along, many of those troubles were coming to an end. And so uh, so when you got struggled. to school, segregation was over, because North Carolina had some holdouts. They had some holdouts, yeah. uh, but it, it never touched you. Okay, so by the time I came along, yes, I was in school with everybody. And, uh, sure, there was a little, there was ten, a, a slight bit of tension, but I was too young to notice it. Uh, but to call the Georgia law Jim Crow 2.0 is absolutely, again, another egregious statement by uh, a, a, a terrible president uh, who's got history all wrong. Uh, Joe Biden and his contemporaries should know a lot about Jim Crow uh, because of some of his contemporaries and some of his heroes, Robert Byrd, were responsible for Jim Crow. Uh, so he should know it quite well. Um, what we're seeing in Georgia is an attempt to slip to uh, to shore up our voting system. Uh, United States of America is the greatest constitutional republic in history and the greatest nation on earth. There is no reason why we shouldn't have the greatest election system on earth. Um, we should have every other country should look at us and say, "Wow, that's how you do elections." Unfortunately, that's not what's happening. When it takes you uh, when it takes you uh, uh, one day to find out who the American Idol is 
and two months to find out who the American president is. There's something wrong here. <laughs> There's something wrong with our voting system. We need to shore up our voting system. And the very first thing we need to do to shore up our voting system is to require a government-issued photo ID when you show up to the polls to prove who you are and that you are who you say you are. Now, That's Governor, Lieutenant Governor, the, the, the left says that voter ID is suppression of the vote. They believe that it's racist and that it's motivated to keep, especially African-Americans, but also Latino-Americans and other uh, minority groups away from the polls, that voter ID is somehow racist, to which you respond how? I respond poppycock. <laughs> you know, I, I like to say it like this. I'm a, a black American story. Uh, we came over during on the Middle Passage. We survived that. We, we came over into the plantations of the Old South the mechanized uh, slavery of the Old South, with the whips and chains and all the associated things. We, we survived that. Then we moved out of that into Jim Crow with the, you know, with the, uh, the bigotry and the, the, the segregation and all the violence that we saw during that time. We survived that. And not only survived that, we were thriving during that period. We survived Jim Crow. And now we get to this place where we've defeated slavery, we've defeated Jim Crow, we're, we're succeeding at the highest levels of government, including the president of the United States, for two terms. And now we have Democrats telling us that we're so weak, so ineffective, that we cannot get a free ID to vote. That is insulting. That is ridiculous. And I absolutely reject it. I believe that black Americans can do their due diligence uh, for the cause of being able to keep their vote secure. And if that includes getting an ID to do that, I have no doubt that every black American in this nation can, can get that done. Now, you have become a uh, uh, very famous Republican as an African-American Republican. But the, the most famous black Republican right now is Tim Scott. And Senator Scott gave the rebuttal last night. And he called H.R. 1, their, quote, voting reform bill, he called that a, quote, misplaced Washington power grab. It's about rigging elections in the future, close quote. Do you agree with Senator Scott? Absolutely. I've taken a look at that. I went to Washington, D.C., and I testified about this issue, and that is exactly what I told the folks up there on Capitol Hill, is that this is not about justice. It's not about equality. It's not about voting rights. This is about a power grab meant to keep one party in power indefinitely, and we cannot allow it to happen. We cannot have our state stripped of their rights to administer their own elections. We cannot do that. And that is exactly what H.R. 1 does. And uh, we we are going to fight like heck to make sure that uh, it does not pass. And uh, if, if, oh my, if it does pass, God forbid that it does pass, in this state, in North Carolina, we're going to fight like heck to mitigate any fallout from it. So uh, we're getting close to wrapping up here, Lieutenant Governor Robinson. I want you to remember, is this the first national radio show you've done? Uh, have you done Mark Levin or my friends, Dennis Prager, Mike Gallagher, Seb Gorka, Charlie Kirk? Have you done yeah. other national radio? Good. Uh, good. Yeah. You need to be out there, but you need to do me first whenever I call, please. Uh, I want to I ask you about President Biden. We're a few months in now. I think he's trying to transform the country in a radical way. What do you recommend Republicans do about pushing back? I've said this in public forums, and I believe this wholeheartedly. I think it is time for the states. I think it is time for the people of the state, the legislatures of the state, the governors of the state, to push back against the 
federal government. The federal government has become something it is not supposed to become. It overstepped its bounds many decades ago. And now we see it doing it to a great degree that I believe is going to destroy this country. Uh, I describe the federal government like the, that annoying coworker at work who's never at his desk, always behind on his work, doesn't know what's going on on his job, and doesn't really know his job description, but is always at your desk telling you what to do. Oh, you've met Dwayne, my producer. That's interesting. Okay. Uh, yeah. that, that is how I describe the federal government. We've got to get the federal government government back to its own desk and back on mission because right now they are way off and i think the way we do that is for states to push back and tell the federal government you're not going to rule over us in a way the constitution didn't prescribe to you get back in your lane and we demand and you so know in I your speech that, that the solution. in your speech you mentioned the 13th 14th and 15th and i don't blame people who aren't constitutional law professors like levin and me uh, and when they get the 15th wrong, the voting amendment wrong, I heard a little bit of an error in your speech, and I, I just passed over it. But you're right. This comes down to being constitutionalist and believing in freedom. And I think that's why that's your right. speech took off. I think you believe in freedom. I really do. That's I think right. the reason it resonated is that you're a freedom guy. That's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. You know, uh, the, the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendment uh, were the first civil rights legislation in this country. Uh, I always get the 14th and the 15th. I always get them backwards. <laughs> I don't know why, <laughs> but uh, it's it's important to remember. I think it's important for us to remember those uh, those three amendments and remember that those uh, were the those were the amendments that prove who the Republican Party really is and why the Republican Party was created. The Republican Party was created to to fight to make this country live up to the true meaning of its creed, to follow its constitution, and, and to stand up and, and make sure that all people, all people are free. And How are you handling... Remember that. You're, you're on a rocket ship, whether you're going to moon or not, because people want uh, 100% undiluted freedom. They do. They want that talk. Yeah. They want to hear about it. How are you going to handle celebrity, Lieutenant Governor Robinson? Because it's a dangerous thing. You know, people will start taking pictures with you. You don't know who they are. Uh, crazy people walk up to you and they'll take a picture with you and they're crazy people. You cannot post a joke without it being what, uh, you know kidnapped by woke media and turned into an indictment of you. What are you going to do about this? You got guardrails now? You got a team? I do. I do. And uh, uh, the leader of my team is Jesus Christ. And uh, huh? he's, the one that set, he's the one that set me on this course. And I believe that he's going to set up a hedge of protection around me and, and be able to guide me and, uh, and, and just protect. And I really believe that. Uh, well, you've got no better leader. You, you got the best leader. How about the deputies? Oh, my, my team that's around me is fantastic. I have a fantastic young team around me, young dynamic team around me that are politically astute. Uh, they have helped me uh, every step of the way and are largely, largely responsible for our victories, both in the primary and the general election and the successes that we've had in office so far. And again, I believe that God put those folks in, in my path as well. So he's ordering the steps and putting the right people in place. And I believe uh, with his God's leadership and the folks and the work that the people uh, that are with the work that the people around me, I believe we'll continue to see success in not becoming a celebrity, but fighting to keep the freedoms that we have in this nation uh, uh, alive, because ultimately that's what it's all about. It's not about what I do. It's not about what I do or what I attain. It's about what I leave behind. And what I want to leave behind 
is the same kind of nation that uh, my forefathers left for me. So, so Lieutenant Governor, this week on the interview, my podcast, uh, an old friend, Terry Pluto, he's a Cleveland sports writer, and he attends a multiracial church, which is predominantly black. And we, we talked a little bit about his faith, and he said he believed that black Americans are more spiritually wired than other Americans for a variety of reasons. He's, it's, it's a compliment. It's a, a belief that, that you uh, are articulating a general feeling uh, among the black community when it comes to faith. Does that ever move in the political world? Does that ever mean that black Americans begin to understand religious liberty is what Republicans defend? I mean, we defend the Constitution. Do you think that gets through? Well, I don't I don't think it has because I don't think that uh, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I think the reason why there are a lot of, of, of black people in America who are not Republicans, who don't vote Republicans, is vote Republican is because Republicans have not told their story. They've allowed someone else to tell their story. They've allowed CNN and ABC and the, the leftist professor at schools tell the Republican story. Republicans need to start telling the good story of how it was the Republican Party that stood up for true equality and freedom in this country. It's the Republican Party that, that ended slavery. It's the Republican Party that fought to give women the right to vote. You know, to grant women the right to vote. It was the Republican Party that re repudiated Jim Crow. And I think if we start telling that story in earnest and we start saying who we are as Republicans, as freedom fighters, who people, people who believe in equality for everybody, we will dispel these myths about what a Republican is and what it means to be a Republican. And we will see more people start to join this party uh, uh, who haven't in the past. And I think we'll see this party expand. Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson, it is great to talk to you. Please keep coming back, and I appreciate your time. I appreciate your stance. I appreciate your taking the battle of the other side, and I hope you'll be a return guest on the interview. I will. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you. That concludes today's episode of The Interview with Hugh Hewitt. Thank you for listening. Make sure you come back and check out all the other podcasts on the Salem Podcast Network. And remember, to thank our sponsors, andrewandtodd.com. If you believe in long-form interviews like I do, then do your real estate transactions with Andrew Del Rey and Todd Avakian. I've known both men for a long time. andrewandtodd.com. Go there, answer a couple of questions. They'll tell you what's best to do with your house or call them at 888-888-1172. You'll be glad you did and you'll be glad that you listened to the next episode of The Interview.